This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia. Live from the Accessible Media Studios, this is Kelly and Company. Entertainment, lifestyle, and great conversation. It's AMI-audio's on-air community, and everyone's invited. And now, the big man himself, Kelly McDonald. Back from a nice, wonderful Thanksgiving where we give thought and think about things that we're very appreciative to, of course, and hope uh, for you folks it was uh, all the same as, as uh, so much in, in our world to be thankful for. And when we look around and see other places, other people struggling um, with what's going on in their area, you, 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 no matter how high prices are getting, fuel, food, you gotta be. You gotta be thankful for this wonderful place that we have, uh, Danielle McLaughlin. I'm very thankful to be here today. It's always fun, cute, rotisserie style. It was terrific. He, you know, he fought with that bird, got it, got it down. You know, had to tie it up a few times, but it was delicious. It was how really much good. time out there rotating, just keeping track of it? When did he put it on, and uh, how much time did it? Did he? It I don't want to say about- did it take. It took three hours on the rotisserie, right, and he okay. kept going out there to check it and make sure it hadn't fallen off or burnt to a crisp or anything. Um, but we used a meat thermometer, which you know is very helpful. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it it turned out really well, and uh, it was awesome. such a nice day too. So. We're, well, we're and lucky. I, I think that's the one thing because people often say, "How come Canada? You guys have your Thanksgiving in October?" Well, that's why. Yeah, that's <laughs> so why. you can exactly. do all that, and at least uh, people, with the numbers starting to rise again with COVID, at least people could get together. Uh, Danielle, today being the eleventh of October, another special day that we wanted to bring a little attention to. Yes, it is. Today uh, is the International Day of the Girl Child, uh, and it is the tenth anniversary. And I'm just going to read the first paragraph of the statement made by the Honorable Marcy Ion, who's the Minister for Women and Gender Equality and Youth. She said, today is International Day of the Girl Child, an occasion to celebrate the voices and power of girls here in Canada and around the world. Girls are leaders, trailblazers, and innovators. They are a source of inspiration for gender equality and a catalyst for transformative change. When the rights and economic well-being of young girls are protected and enriched, we all achieve progress. Mm. And I couldn't agree more. Uh, you know, we, we found that when you alleviate female poverty, you alleviate the poverty of a whole family and everybody does better. And when women are educated and given equal rights, uh, it's the surest way to change the world for the positive. So, yes, three cheers for International Day of the Girl Child. For sure. We had a wonderful conversation with Margaret Weldon. Uh, about about what it means, everything involved, and it was just so informative and so wonderful. So definitely Fedora's off today. And folks, let's step into the October 11th edition of Kelly and Company by letting you know what's coming up on the show. Nutritionist Julia Caranches gives us tips to uh, treat all kinds headaches naturally. And another season of the NHL is officially underway. We get a season preview with our friend and the Nation Network's Nick Alberga. On October 23rd, catch an accessible production of the Storyville Mosquito by Kid Koala. We learn more about this unique show later on in the program. We'll do that in Hour 2 of Kelly and Company. 
So, uh, Danielle, we talk about knowing our rights on Mondays a lot with you, but speaking of rights, some workers in Ontario can now demand to know how their uh, employer is using electronic tools to monitor their work. As of today in Ontario, employers with 25 or more staff must have a policy outlining how, when and why they electronically monitor their workers. The province legislated the requirement back in April and employers had six months to draft a policy. Examples of electronic monitoring included tracking the websites an employee visits during work hours or monitoring the GPS on a driver's delivery truck. The policy did not establish new privacy rights for workers. John Kennedy, the Canadian Press, Toronto. I happen to know we're going to discuss this a bit on Monday. Uh, Monday? Yeah, Monday, Danielle. Yes, this coming Monday. That's right. Well, I I have to tell you that I I find it a little troubling that um, an employer may have to have a policy, but the government isn't telling you uh, what they may or may not do, that there are are no uh, actual protections for employees. And, you know... The, uh, the policy can say, you know, we're going to investigate anything that we feel is relevant. And then you're going to want to know, what does that mean? So, yeah, we, we have a lot of talking uh, to do. And we will have Dr. Brenda McPhail from the Canadian Civil Liberties Association to talk about facial recognition technology uh, this coming Monday. But she's undoubtedly, we're going to have questions for her about uh, this whole issue of how much monitoring a, an employer can do or should do, um, and what the purpose might be of that. So, CBC uh, has been keeping Brenda busy. They um, have indeed. We'll, yeah, we'll get her yeah, too. <laughs> yeah. and, and it's so important. But again, I go back to, especially when we talk about, well, example, stop calling for, for transit. Uh, and I remember in this country when David Leposky was fighting so hard to oh get my. it made, just blanket, uh, even just let's get Toronto doing it. And it's nice to bring something on, if you have the teeth to legislate it, you know, you can make it up, but but who's enforcing it? Who do you reach out to when, hey, I noticed this is happening in the city of London or wherever. Oh, yeah. You know, who am I telling? Well, I'll scream out the window. The wind will carry it somewhere. And that's that's just not good enough, right? Not not at all. Not at all. And that's what you want to see. We'll be talking about this over the years to come too, I expect. Roadwork in Montreal has uh, unearthed remnants of an 1800s Montreal Zoo run by the Canadian Barnum. Long before the Plateau Mont-Royal became one of Montreal's trendiest neighbourhoods, the area was home to a 19th century botanical garden and zoo. Montrealers marvelled at the sight of hippopotamuses, acrobatic circus acts and a live whale in a tank. This piece of history has resurfaced in recent weeks thanks to an archaeological dig that unearthed what is believed to be part of a fountain marking the former site's entrance. One archaeologist says he doesn't know if there's a tourist attraction today that would compare. Jonathan Taranzi says it was as much English as French, rich and poor who could go there to admire the exotic animals and the shows. Brenda Molina Navidad, The Canadian Press. You know, Danielle, I I watch a lot of shows through life, and some of them will take place, such as the old Bonanza series or different shows. Right. And you see some things, and you say, "Well, they didn't have that back there in eighteen seventies. Why the heck would they put us? They didn't have zoos like that or whatever." And then you hear a piece like this, you stop and say, "Did New York, San Francisco, all the, did they have these things?" And it's very fascinating. 
Very fascinating. I, I would like to see exactly how big it was and also what, what the animals were that they kept in captivity. Probably things we wouldn't be doing today, um, but uh, very interesting to find out what the history is. I'm interested, how did they get the whale there? Yeah. You know, I mean, <laughs> and again, what kind of whale? <laughs> exactly. And I guess one could argue St. Lawrence. Yeah, but look, look, folks, I don't care how if the whale swam right up to the edge and it was on the edge of the water. How are you getting it into some tank nicely, <laughs> carefully, politely without endangering <laughs> it? Or unfortunately, as we've we've talked about it, you know, maybe it was a different time, different way. And maybe the, the concerns of the animal weren't the way they, they should or are now. Thank goodness. We hope. Yes. yes. Thank goodness. We'll step aside for a couple of moments, folks. Hopefully you'll stick around. And when we return, let's get to our guide dog and service animal report with Devin Wilkins in a moment on Kelly and Company. Settle back with us, folks. Another edition of Kelly and Company. Appreciate wherever you are listening in to you being with us. If you want to reach out to the show, give us a call at 1-866-509-4545. You can leave a message. And please mention it's for Kelly and Company. If you don't mind to, let us know it's okay. We can play your message on the air if we can utilize it. 1-866-509-4545. Feedback at AMI.ca. Maybe you've got questions about AMI-TELA, ami audio or ami tv anything going on over here at accessible media feedback at ami.ca the gang at communications and marketing happy to help you out over there with uh, any answers they can give you on twitter at ami audio best way to just follow along see what's happening from segment to segment within the show or ask ami audio questions about the program that's at ami audio the handle on Twitter, Kelly McDonald here today with uh, Danielle McLaughlin as we settle back for our Tuesday edition of the program. And usually, Devin Wilkins joins us on the second Monday of the month. But with yesterday, no no show, we, well, we'd bring Devin on today. And of course, Devin's here to join us for our Guide Dog and Service Animal Report. Devin, welcome. Oh, thank you very much. It's uh, quite a, an honor to be taking the place of Dr. John Kind usually would have well we kind of stuck with the with the right theme that that's for sure because we're still talking animals the business of animals and you've got some great stuff on the list here that danielle and i'll get to with you uh, to talk about belated happy thanksgiving and the organization that has tried on several occasions to come up with a national standard for the development of a management system for animal-assisted human services has finally responded to criticisms leveled last spring by handlers of guide and service dogs well let's get into this we can we yeah, okay, so just to kind of review the the situation, uh, back in about 2017, the uh, Canadian Foundation uh, for Animal Assisted Support Services, um, based in uh, Ottawa, but they have um, representatives from uh, other places across Canada, like uh, Winnipeg, uh, they decided that um, we needed a, a new standard. And uh, back then, in 2017, it was vehemently opposed because uh, at that time, they wanted to include 
guide and service dogs as well, which are trained by accredited um, or, uh, uh, accreditation organizations like uh, the International Guide Dog Federation and uh, Assistance Dogs International. So, I mean, we, we figured if they already, uh, if the schools are already accredited, why uh, train or why uh, examine each dog again? Right. And uh, and we were getting, uh, they, the foundation was getting all sorts of uh, feedback uh, and criticism from uh, all of the uh, guide dog uh, training um, uh, centers, not only here in Canada, but centers that already train dogs uh, to send to Canada, like the CNI and uh, leaders. So uh, eventually, um, the uh, Canadian Human Rights Commission said, "No, they're, they're right. You, you can't. You can't do this. You can't." Uh, together a standard that's uh, uh, that's supposed to replace something that's working uh, very well already. And uh, then in the spring of, I think it was late winter or spring of of uh, 22, uh, they decided the uh, foundation uh, decided to try it again. And uh, naturally, they got all sorts of uh, feedback and mm-hmm. um, pushback from people with guide and service dogs. And um, to the point where we were uh, being accused of harassing them. Wow. Wow, well, what a thing to, what an accusation to make. Yeah, yeah. And uh, they... Um, well, one of our one of the reasons that people were pushing back was that the standard that they presented was not accessible. Right, there wasn't uh, that opportunity. We remember you talking about that for people to yeah. be able to get it. The promise was there; it never happened, right? No, that's right. Um, someone from the uh, coalition of people who use. Uh, guide and service dogs across Canada uh, had to um, go through the uh, standard and make it accessible for the rest of us to be able to use it. So, uh, the originator certainly didn't do it. And uh, so we never heard anything more uh, from them until late September. Uh, and uh, they decided to um, give it an answer or some answers to some of the criticisms that they were getting. Uh, And uh, with regard to the accessibility, for example, uh, they said that the uh, draft standard was unable to be distributed in alternative formats in order to prevent the risk of un, um, sorry, unauthorized uh, changes uh, in the draft uh, versions 
being uh, circulated. Uh, well, I don't quite understand that. Uh, because seems... if we were supposed to comment on it and it wasn't accessible, something had to give. Now, they said that they provided an audio um, a version of it, but you can't, if you want to specify changes to be made, you can't make changes to an audio version. It has to be written out there in, in print so that you can point out the changes that you want made. You understand that? Yeah, sure. But De Devin, this seems to me like not just a an omission, but, you know, this a sort of uh, almost purposeful um, roadblock for people who require accessibility. I, I That doesn't sound We've very... we that too. Yeah. yeah. Just try Definitely. to keep... I mean, if you can't make a comment on it, then they don't have to listen to you. Is that the idea? I think so. Yeah. That's yeah. the idea we got anyway. Gee. And wow. um, with regard to the CHRC, which is the Canadian Human, Human Rights Commission, uh, they send it, said that the CHRC commended the accessibility and bilingualism of the process oh, for brother. this new attempt at a, a standard. Now, how could that possibly be? when they, we couldn't even read it and do anything with it. Well, that sounds like a, a complaint in the making. That's that's really yes. difficult. Boy, yeah. oh boy. Yeah. Well. And uh, anyway, now they're saying that in this new standard, uh, guide dog handlers uh, aren't even uh, mentioned, or guide dogs or assistance dogs aren't even uh, mentioned. When the word handler comes up, uh, within the context, it says, of the standard, handler, the word handler is someone who helps train or works with or cares for uh, hum human uh, services assistance animals. And it refers to businesses, not end users. Uh, I don't quite understand that. And then and they talk about, sorry? I said, and again, it looks a little, you know, d did they have anybody with a disability on their panel while they were doing this? Yeah, I, I don't know. And they wouldn't tell us that because they also said that a misinformation and harassment campaign um, last March uh, was that that we users embarked upon a misinformation and harassment campaign. So the uh, technical committee um, protected members of that committee by identifying them by interest and uh, region only. Sounds convenient. Uh -huh. Sounds very convenient uh -huh. to be able to avoid, uh, you know, identifying that you did or didn't have somebody from the community or persons from the community and also just taking responsibility. And you're going to give that mechanical, we'd like to pat everybody on the back for the work that they've done. What work? What? Now? 
this whole harassment thing, look, Devin, we obviously understand this is people's lives. They're going to be passionate about it. And if you're going to con- call out people for being frustrated for another go around at this kind of thing and coming up empty handed and, and classifications, not even being close to being able to make it easier for people, the, the lay person to understand. Scary. Exactly. Yeah. Much less the yeah. end user who is That's obviously right. the most important person in this whole equation. Oh yeah. For That's sure. Yeah. So what, yeah. where does it go now, Devin? Well, I'm not sure where, where it goes from here. Uh, we're kind of waiting on tenderhooks to find out as well. Well, it's one of those funny things, Devin, because we were very happy in the beginning to see so many guide dog users, community members getting involved and banding together when it came to this uh, kind of all along with, uh, you know, hands on our harnesses, everything like that, that, that was starting yeah. to happen. And it was, uh, you'd swear somebody went about the business of finding a roadblock. Yes, Man, I multiple. know. Yeah, definitely. And I wonder why it took the uh, Community Foundation for um, Animal Assisted Support Services so long to answer. Uh, I mean, that was from last spring, and now this is already, well, back then it was September. The date was September 27th. Yeah, that's so, an awesome um, long time. Uh, yes, it is. Yeah. So I'm hoping that uh, hands off our harnesses and guide dog users of Canada will come up with uh, a response um, fairly quickly so that we can move this thing along. Hopefully to a final conclusion. Well, but I guess look. that's for my November report. <laughs> I guess so. Well, yeah. we just have about a moment left, but if can you quickly let us know about what's happening uh, next Monday, October the 17th, with the Guide Dog Users of Canada convening a special get-together? Yes. Um, Senator Chantel Petticlar would like to get together um, with guide and service dog handlers to find out whether they would like, uh, whether they see a benefit uh, to a national um, guide and service dog awareness month, not sponsored by a particular school, um, but by the federal government. And um, uh, we're also uh, going to be talking about whether it would be better to have that month in September when, which is when CNIB has been doing it, or in April uh, when uh, International Guide Dog Day is on uh, the fourth Wednesday of, of April. Wow. So we're uh, convening a um, uh, conversation on Zoom uh, next Monday at 1 Eastern. And if you look at the blog, uh, you'll see the uh, Zoom invitation and um, we're going to be in touch with people uh, who are handlers as many as we can find and as many trainers as we can find to get 
as broad a perspective as possible. Okay. Well, we'll get that up on the blog, ami.ca slash kellyco, for people who want to engage Monday uh, in that conversation, important conversation again as well. Devin, we'll look forward to catching up in November and getting a little more information on both of these topics. Thank you. All right. Thank you, folks. Take care. Join us for the next Guide Dog and Service Animal Report on the second Monday of November when Devin returns to the program, folks. Really interesting stuff there. Uh, A lot of head shaking going on, I'm sure. Coming up next, nutritionist Julia Caranches gives us tips of how to treat different kinds of headaches naturally. After listening to that report, let's get ready to treat some headaches, folks. Boy, created some there with all that stuff Devin brought to us. We'll be back with more in a moment. Catch the Pulse right here on AMI-audio at 1.30 p.m. Eastern Time, 10.30 a.m. Pacific Time. This week, Joita speaks to Maya Chukkoff about her podcast, Proud Stutter, and her journey as a stuttering advocate. That's the Pulse this Thursday at 1.30 p.m. Eastern Time, 10.30 a.m. Pacific Time here on AMI-audio. Also, of course, you can... Take in the show as a podcast, and it's also available on YouTube as a video podcast. Kelly McDonald here hosting the program, and today, hanging out with me co-hosting, Danielle McLaughlin. Kelly, every other Tuesday, we're joined by nutritionist Julia Karanchis. I love the world of nutrition. Join me, Julia Karanchis, as we talk about everything from food and nutrition to living a vibrant lifestyle. Julia, how are you? I'm great. How are you? Nice to hear your voice. I have to say that for me, this is headache season. So I am really looking forward to uh, chatting with you about how to treat headaches naturally. Yeah, I feel the same way. Usually headache season is in the the, the spring, but we, we've been getting these warmer temperatures. So yes. I mean, last week... They were super warm, so I felt like we were having headache season all over again. And I actually thought we had talked about this before on the show, but I went through my notes, and we haven't. No. And so I thought we'd revisit it today because there's so many wonderful herbs and other natural remedies that can help alleviate headache pain. So I think it's super helpful because even though you may not be a migraine sufferer, which is um, very common and something that's talked about a little more Often, there are lots of other headaches that you can experience, such as tension and hormonal cluster and sinus. So there's headaches for everybody. Oh, how nice. (laughs) Plenty to go around. Yeah. Do all these headaches feel different from one another? Yes. And I think this is maybe why it can be confusing for people. Um, You know, oh, I don't suffer from headaches because maybe you don't have migraines. And that's great. But there are different headaches and maybe you don't notice that it's something that you're experiencing. So for example, a tension headache will feel like squeezing of the temples or a tight band around the head. A sinus headache will stem from sort of like the upper nose area and be felt around the eyes. 
Um, so like right in the middle of the face and then migraines and hormonal headaches will be felt on or can be felt on half of the head and sometimes behind the eyes. Um, so, you know, everybody can experience something different. And then, and then the problem with taking too much drugstore stuff is that it can cause, um, a rebound headache. Right. So, you know, you it's it's great that it alleviates your pain, but it's also great to have other options to help combat headache pain so that you're not just relying on one path, one standard, you know, product in your arsenal. I like sitting here and the fan blows on me. So, of course, yeah. you know, I don't think about it until, gee, I'm getting a headache. And I don't realize the neck shoulders are getting tight from that. There yes. are so many little things that you can do that you do. Uh, people talk about looking at screens, of course, and giving themselves headaches. And obviously, uh, in a lot of cases, there is underlying something else maybe going on. But a lot of these ones that, you, you, you know, you've named tension headaches, you get them. A sinus headache, you get them. You don't have to necessarily be have, have multiple allergies or anything like that or even right. one of them, right? Right. Um, Julie, what are some natural ways to help then with this headache pain? So first you want to rule out some more common triggers. So you want to make sure that you're properly hydrated as this ah. can be a trigger. So I this find is that with all of... my coffee drinking and it's not, I know people yeah. say, well, that's that caffeine and everything. Well, for me, it, it dries out my, I don't drink enough water. I don't drink the, yep. what yep. is it? Uh, one cup or one and a half cups of water per cup of coffee. Oh, oh, yes. Was, yeah, yeah, definitely a cup for a cup. I mean, if you're drinking a cup of coffee, you got to drink a cup of water in addition to the the regular water intake that you would have to stay hydrated throughout the day. So you, you have to drink more fluid if okay. you're drinking that coffee. Or, so or in other words, coffee doesn't count for hydration. Right. No. Yes. <laughs> it doesn't. And no, I drink yeah, enough to, is... to, to attest to that elsewhere, that's for sure. So So stay hydrated. Sorry. Yes. Yeah. No, you want to stay hydrated. And obviously this can be a problem because there are a lot of individuals that, you know, out of habit, they just start their day with a coffee and yes. might not reach for anything that's like water until the noon hour or halfway through the morning. So if you're a headache sufferer, this is definitely something to pay attention to. So mm -hmm. in, you know, you want to stay hydrated and also depending on the type of headache, um, Ironically, caffeine can be helpful if it's like a tension headache or a migraine. Right, right. So, also I've, the I've heard that. There's ahead. also the sort of headache that you get if you're used to having caffeine and then you yes. don't. I went for yes. a few days last week without it, without my usual coffee, and had this terrible headache. Couldn't figure yes. out why. Then I had my first cup of coffee, and it magically went like, away. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I, I have started. I have started yeah. Julia to do the the drinks and water first. In the morning, yes. and, and we got into a discussion when Jeff was doing health for us. He brought this item to us on the show and start your day off, get your organs, everything going with some water right off the bat. Yeah. And that I used to have a hard time drinking that water in the morning. Now I'm good to walk by. I put a cup all the time full with water so that when I'm going to grab my cup of coffee, going to or on the way back, I take a bit of water too. Yes, yes. I've gotten the habit of, I mean, I start my, my days with water, but when I'm at my cottage, I always start with a mint tea. So that would oh. be fine too. If somebody liked herbal teas that weren't caffeinated or didn't have a sugar content, I mean, that would be a, a fantastic option too, to help with water intake. I mean, and if you didn't like the taste of plain water, which we've talked about before, you can certainly add some lemon juice or lime juice or a squeeze of citrus of some sort that, you know, if that tickled your taste buds in a positive way. 
There's lots of things that you can do there to help stimulate your desire to drink more water, but you do want to stay hydrated. And then if you think it might be a tension headache or a migraine, a coffee would be helpful in addition to drinking water. Well, some people are staying away from caffeine altogether and it doesn't yes. work for everybody. So what else can you try? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a really easy option. So it could be too easy for some people. And not everyone drinks coffee or feels relief when they do from a headache. So I personally don't drink coffee, so that wouldn't be an option for me. So another natural remedy to try is peppermint oil. And I used to use this a lot when I worked in retail and I was on my feet for eight hours a day. Um, I would just put a little bit of peppermint oil on my temples. But you do have to be careful because if you put it too close to the front of your face, like the the menthol-y, you know, vibes yeah. that peppermint oil gives off can can irritate your eyes and cause them yes. to water. So it can be irritating. So you've got to make sure you put it back. But there's there's actually essential oil companies that make oil blends for headaches that come in the form of a tube with a roller ball. So you just uncap it like you would a lip balm and roll it on. And it's so convenient and it smells so nice. And you smell so nice once you use it. <laughs> you smell a bit like a candy cane, but never mind. Yeah, but yeah I mean, there's worse yeah. things you could smell like. So that's true. You know, candy cane is okay. Wow, that's <laughs> so nice. So peppermint that's oil great. is a nice one. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. Uh, what about magnesium? What's the word on it? Yeah, because we've talked about this mineral before mm-hmm. a lot. And it's one of my favorite minerals. We know that it's one of the one of uh, two very, very commonly depleted minerals from our soil. And we know if it's not in our soil, it's not in our food. If it's not in our food, we're not getting it. So, you know, can it help? And yeah, absolutely. So adding, so unlike peppermint oil, which you would use on an ad needed basis, right? So you could keep it in your bag, at your, at your desk, by your computer, in your pocket, if you didn't think you were going to break it, um, you could just use the peppermint oil as needed. But with magnesium, you would use it as a daily supplement. So this would be helpful for somebody who experiences cluster headaches or migraines, since these two groups of headache sufferers were found in a study to have low magnesium levels. So with magnesium, you probably are better off to take it as a daily supplement to keep the levels of magnesium high in your body as to as opposed to using it like a, like a painkiller, you know, like an Advil, like you just take it when you need it. Magnesium you would want to take every day. So is there a suggestion that people are, are just generally low in magnesium and they need to, to supplement because their diet is poor in, in magnesium? So uh, half yes, half no. So they're, uh, it's not because their diet is poor. It's because the diet, the food is lacking because it's mm. not in the soil, which is, which is not the fault of the individual. It's not no, that no, they're I not wasn't blaming. Yeah. yeah. So it's, yeah, our diet is, is our diet. Our food is poor due to environmental fac- uh, factors. So that's, that's where that link that what, those low levels are coming an, into play. What would be a natural source of magnesium other than, you know, daily supplements? Is there a, a food that's rich in it? Yeah, like cauliflower is good and like whole grains and some greens are really good for it. Um, I mean, it, it should be found in a lot of our foods, but the problem is you're, ne- you're never cert. It's depleted from our soil. Like right. we in North America have low levels in the soil. So it is very difficult to eat enough of it from our food at this, at this day and age mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. of the soil levels. Yeah. Uh, and you, okay. you wonder, 
what could be done? Was there ever a time or the amount that we need as human beings? Uh, these supplements are really obviously now the answer, but would have been probably the answer many years ago because I think that depletion's happened for a while, hasn't it? Yeah. I mean, it took years, but we're there now. So, yeah, it's years of growing you know, crops in the exact same soil and unsustainable farming practices and then environmental factors that are just affecting our soil quality. And, you know, there's obviously a lot more going on than even I'm, I'm sure that I'm aware of um, that's affecting the mineral content of our soil. But we are seeing decreased content in magnesium in our soil and we are seeing deficiencies in North Americans because of that lack of mineral content in the soil. Because that's, I think, you know, we need to understand when we eat food that the nutrients in the food weren't just manufactured within that food, is that they were absorbed branches of which they were grown. Yeah, the food needed it as much as we did. Yeah. Yes, yes, Kelly, that's, yes, that's, that's wonderful. Yeah, I love that. (laughs) Yeah, the food needed as much as we did. That's very true. It's very accurate. Yeah. Julia, what is one more natural remedy that could be tried if the other things that you've mentioned don't work? Yeah. So, I mean, we can go on and on about lots of cool things, but um, something that's maybe not as common is white willow bark. Um, This is a great substitute for aspirin, which will decrease pain. And now you don't need to chew on the bark. You can find it as a pill or a tincture, which is a liquid form of a herb and consume it that way. Again, as a supplement, there are um, actually a number of herbs that one can try from basil to lavender to way less common ones, such as feverfew, which is, I know mm-hmm. it says feverfew, but it has four headaches, and uh, something else called butterbur. So okay. there's, yeah, there's definitely lots to explore when it comes to natural remedies. So lots of options, lots of things to try to find what works for you. But, you know, stay hydrated. You can try peppermint oil. And then if these things are not working, you can dive right into trying some of these herbs like basil, well, lavender, willow. That's great. Thank you so much. Uh, This is all very helpful for those of us headache sufferers who are are listening. I really appreciate that, Julia. Thank you. Bye, guys. Bye-bye. You can join Julia Caranchas for our Nutrition Talks every other Tuesday opposite Wellness with Francis Wong. Coming up in two minutes on the program, another season of the NHL is officially underway. We get a season preview with our friend and the Nation Network's Nick Alberga in a moment on Kelly and Company. Welcome back to the program. Daniel McLaughlin with me today. I'm Kelly McDonald. Do you feel rusty? I am a little rusty, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's been a while since I had the wonderful opportunity to co-host. It's so much fun, Kelly. Well, you guys do a tremendous job. Brock was in here last week, and it's just really wonderful because you go from being contributor, bang, right on the spot to being (laughs) co-host, and you guys do really wonderful. It's uh, always a, a mate to me because I know it's, all right, hurry. Get back on the bike. Away you go. You know, I remember, remember p- right. parents doing that to you as a kid. You know, you'd fall off and first, oh, you, you're all right. You're all right. Get back on the bike. Well, well I don't it. want to get go. on it. Just keep going. Yeah. There you go. And if you had training <laughs> wheels, you're really in trouble. You just, they'd shove you and away you go, you know, and they go back to drinking their coffee. 
Yeah. Folks, and who is, it's that, what's that pedal on the floor? Is that Kelly? No. <laughs> That's exactly it. That was a bad crash, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Folks, it's that time of the year. The NHL, for you hockey fans, is back, and we've got this season underway already officially. Joining us now to uh, preview the upcoming season is friend of the show, NHL broadcaster, and the Nation Network's Nick Alberga. Nick, welcome back. How are you, pal? Hey, I'm fantastic. I do appreciate these biannual appearances and getting you set for the hockey season. How are you? Well, we do too because it really helps people, especially I always say the, the marginal folks get an idea of, well, what to look forward to. And you know what? Maybe that does sound kind of cool. And when you guys impart such great stuff uh, on us with it, it really encourages. So I want to start, before we get into teams and stuff like that, from a health and safety standard, when we look at the, the season starting now, this is starting to shape up as the most, can I say, normal NHL season we've hmm. had in a few years. You must be pumped. Yes. For sure. Uh, pretty much back to business as usual, uh, without question, as we all know in this world, it's been a crazy and emphatic last, what, two, two and a half years. So from a, from a professional sports you know, point of view, to be able to cover the game the way it was covered before, that means locker room access, the you know engagement with the athletes and the players and everybody involved, it's just going to be a lot different. And I think from, from that perspective too, just from the crowd standpoint too, and not really having to worry about uh, you know, determining and underlying factors uh, to go to a hockey game anymore is going to be a breath of fresh air. So I, I can't wait, that's for sure. Do you think that players who kind of at first love the fact that they had to do the little Zoom hits for a while, that they could avoid media and sometimes even <laughs> fans, if they're more of a shyer player, are actually starving for this too? That the, the numbers are higher of those who say, oh my gosh, yes, yes, come back here. Do you have any dumb questions for me, media, uh, that they're looking <laughs> forward to it? It's an ultimate, ultimate catch-22, I think, to answer your question. Yeah. Knowing a couple of players <laughs> in the league, uh, they weren't crazy about the constant COVID testing. So, like, you're losing yeah. that, but then gaining the fact that you have to answer to the media every day in person. I know what you're saying, uh, but I think they'll certainly take that as opposed to just dealing with that on an everyday basis. But all in all, I think it comes with the territory, right? It does. And, and I agree with you totally. I'm sure many of them are looking forward to embracing it. Let's just hope it doesn't turn into a super spreader event because COVID is still with us. So we'll see how that turns out for sure. Can we do our yearly tour of the Canadian teams uh, in the East? Which teams are you liking this year? Yeah, so certainly we'll start in the Atlantic Division. The Toronto Maple Leafs, the team, by the way, I'll be covering for the Nation Network this season for the LeafsNation.com. Also launching uh, Leafs Morning Take coming up tomorrow at 11 a.m. Eastern time on the uh, Nation Network's YouTube page alongside former Leaf Jay Rosso. So we'll oh, start nice. there. I had to give a bit of a plug there. Um, the Toronto Maple Leafs coming off another disappointing loss in the Stanley Cup playoffs, having won around in 18 years. It's pretty crazy. They'll start on the road against the rival Montreal Canadiens. They have obviously a legitimate shot of doing something substantial, but, you know, it's, it's a broken record at this point. We say that every season with the Maple Leafs. So, I think they're going to be an upper echelon team. I think ultimately it'll come down to two weeks in the springtime to determine how much different this team is from others. Meantime, the Ottawa Senators have had an unbelievable, unbelievable offseason. They've added some you know, marquee talent, and now it's, to you know, it's time to prove their worth and show that these additions have made them a better squad. So I would look out for them. Uh, Toronto's opponent tomorrow night in the form of the Montreal Canadiens. 
Um, they're a team that's likely going to finish in the bottom of the standings. Um, there's been a lot of changeover since they made a GM change, and they're projecting to be sort of a lottery team right now. I think they're going to be a tough opponent for the Leafs tomorrow night, but I think in the long run, it's going to be a bit of a struggle for Montreal as they continue to rebuild. I think a lot of the impact in this country, quite frankly, could be made out West. Uh, we saw what Edmonton did last Stanley Cup playoffs. The Calgary Flames are legitimate. I think the Winnipeg Jets are better than people are giving them credit for. And also the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, I wouldn't sleep on that team either to make the Stanley Cup playoffs. So that's probably full scape of what's happening here in Canada. But no doubt it's been exciting. And I think we're, we're just, we're, we're yearning for that moment to get that Stanley Cup champion again in this country. We haven't yes. got one since 1993, if you can believe it. Yeah, but and, and then last year the the, the playoffs it, it got exciting. You you know with Calgary, Edmonton, this uh, the viability, Vancouver, uh, you know everything that that looked through the season. Hey man, this is going to be great, and something's coming to fruition to some point. Which Canadian teams in the East are in for a long year? Would we would we put Montreal right at the top of that list, uh, and and only them mainly? Yeah, I think if you were to rank the Canadian teams right now, one through seven, I think by far, at least in my opinion, the Montreal Canadiens are the worst team. Um, not having Carey Price hurts. He's been the best yeah. goal turn on the planet for a long period of time. It's unlikely he'll play again in his NHL career. So they have Jake Allen um, on the back end. There's a lot of question marks of that team. They got some pretty good forwards up front, but they're they're a team sort of in, in, in turnover territory where they're sort of rebuilding. So certainly I think it would be Montreal to answer your question. Interesting. What about the West? Is there somebody catching your attention there? Um, from the Canadian perspective, I mentioned, you know, Calgary and Edmonton. I think things could run through Alberta. They're, they're also, they're two really, really, really strong teams. So I think I would look there. Uh, from a grand scheme of things, 32 teams in this league. I think if you're looking for teams to repeat potentially, the Colorado Avalanche, who won the Stanley Cup last season, I think are the bona fide number one contender to repeat this season. Um, I think the St. Louis Blues would be tossed in that conversation as well. The jury's still out in the Vegas Gold Knights. The Los Angeles Kings would be much better this season. So all in all, it's shaping up. You know, the parity in the league is better than it's ever been, and the salary cap is projected to go up in the next couple of years too. But um, I think if you're to put me on the spot right now, I have Carolina and uh, the Calgary Flames in my Stanley Cup final. And in fact, I have Carolina winning its second Stanley Cup ever. Wow, mm, that's interesting. That would be amazing um, because you see so many places you always look to where when you look that direction, where are those fans? Who are the real hockey people in St. Louis is one of those places. So it'd be interesting to see them go a little further. Uh, you know, let's, let's go over to individual players. Let's skip down here. Yeah. Anyone that you're thinking is contending with Connor McDavid out there? So the big story here, obviously, is Austin Matthews of right. the Toronto Maple Leafs. He is gunning for his second consecutive 60-goal season that hasn't been done in 28 years. Pavel Bure back in the early 90s, the last to do it. He's coming off the Hart Trophy. He's coming off another Rocker Richard Trophy. I think if we want to start you know, contributing to that debate, who is the best player on the planet, to me, in my opinion, it's still by far Connor McDavid, but I do think Austin Matthews is closing ground. Leon Dry settles in that conversation as well. I think mm -hmm. Nathan McKinnon, who's fresh off a contract extension, is is in that conversation. But that's the the, the, the most polarizing storyline, at least for me, in covering the Leafs, and I think to a degree here in Canada, is Austin Matthews. How can he follow up the season he just had, where it was maybe the the best you know 
single most season of all time for the Toronto Maple Leafs where he scores 60 goals in 73 games. Could he potentially get to 70? I do think the sky's the limit. So that's the the main storyline for me when it comes to Canada and personal accomplishments. Wow. Okay. So do you have any other bold predictions for the upcoming year? Oh, I always do. Uh, you know me. Oh, um, I think when you when you look at <laughs> when you look at Connor McDavid, I do think the sky's the limit. I have him to win the Hart Trophy this season as the best player in the NHL. More times he is, you know, he is, um, and it's the most valuable player that award. I just think there's another threshold for McDavid to get to. I think there's a the potential to get to 50 goals for the first time in his career. Um, I am pontificating that the Toronto Maple Leafs will in fact win a playoff series for the first time in 18 years. Uh, so I'll say that I mentioned, I like the Carolina hurricanes quite a bit. Uh, I know it's, it's always a bold prediction when you say that, because it's been so long since they've actually won in the postseason. but you have to say it every year. I think this is the year they're just way too good. And you think they're overdue for something like that, at least to win a round, right? I'm not saying to win the Stanley cup. So all in a all, test it, of, it, it a really, test really... of faith, Nick, it's a definite test of yes. faith. Exactly. Uh, Exactly. But all in all, it's shaping up to be a a really fascinating season. Again, it's it's so great to be uh, back in respect that we're sort of in the rearview mirror of everything that's happened to an extent and we can move forward. And the best part about it to me is just seeing the fan reaction and the fan base and everybody in the building as opposed to the bubble where there was nobody and there was no atmosphere. So it's like night and day. Yes. And uh, it's really uplifting to see for sure. It's, it makes me chuckle because, of course, with the Blue Jays implosion on Saturday, you start hearing mm-hmm. people say, "Was well, this going to be like a Leaf thing? Are these Toronto teams never?" Hey, yeah, well, who knows? And like you say, uh, getting winning a series would be wonderful. Uh, Nick, is there a team? And just a quick answer on this one that you want to throw yeah. out is the step back team that we just people who who may be sitting there. Oh, I'm looking forward to see. Is that is there a team out there that, as far as you're concerned, have fell back? Yeah, well, we'll, we'll, we'll stay here in Canada. I think to answer your question, um, I, I don't think the Ottawa Senators are as good as people are giving them credit for. I know they had a big offseason, everything I just mentioned. I still wonder about that team from a defensive standpoint. So they'd probably be my answer when it comes to the Canadian teams. Another team, a team I'll throw out there uh, who, you know, a lot of people said, hey, they, they had a really good pickup in Johnny Goodrow, and that's Columbus. I don't mm-hmm. think Columbus is ready to compete just yet. So I'd say Ottawa and Columbus. Okay. Uh, for yourself, you mentioned the projects going on here. We've got a couple things happening for you. You want to give a little plug and anything else that you're working on to share with us um, uh, going on uh, uh, other than what starts tomorrow? Yeah, so Leafs Morning Take tomorrow launching on the Nation Network YouTube page. It'll be available wherever you get your podcasts as well. I'm really, really uh, excited for the endeavor alongside former Leaf Jay Rosehill. And I think uh, on top of that as well, doing some fantasy hockey writing as well for dailyfaceoff.com. And in addition to that, I'm the host of the NHL Fantasy on Ice podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts alongside Pete Jensen. So suffice it is to say, guys, I'll be very, very busy this season once again, but I love it. Yeah, I was just going to say you love every bit of that, sir. And we love having <laughs> you on, Nick. Thank you so much for making time whenever we ask. My pleasure. We'll talk soon, okay? Take care. You betcha. Busy guy, man. Folks, that's, of course, the Nation Network's uh, Nick Alberga joining us, giving us a preview of the upcoming NHL season for this year. So many excited to have what we'd almost say is normacy back in the NHL. Coming up next hour of Kelly and Company, all glitter is not created equally. We learn more about the different differences with Bella Strange when she joins us. That'll be on our makeup talk next hour. And... 
on October 23rd, catch an accessible production of the Storyville Mosquito uh, by Kid Koala. Uh, this will be presented by The Live. Up next, though, the Songs and Stories of Ghosts and Spirits event returns in St. John's by popular demand. Community reporter Kim Thistle shares more in two minutes. Maybe you're riding along, listening in on your smart device. Tune in radio, OO Tunes, a couple of great apps in which you can uh, download to your smart device and listen to the show. You can take us with you if you have to go out, maybe in the middle of the live show from 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern, the repeat of the show at 10 p.m. Eastern and 6 a.m. Eastern in the morning. Whatever you use, that's awesome. Tune in radio, OO Tunes, just some suggestions on our part of which to uh, take the show with you using your smart device. Maybe you sit at your desk. Maybe at work, AMI.ca also streams the program as they stream AMI-audio. Maybe you'll do that as well. I'm Kelly McDonald, host of the program at the London, Ontario Home Studio. Danielle McLaughlin at the Home Studio in Toronto. And we welcome you back to the show. Mondays and Tuesdays, uh, we get a chance to speak to our community reporters. Uh, this week, we will have a community reporter report on Thursday because, of course, we were away yesterday. But let's let's focus on Newfoundland. You know I say that kid once in a while just to make you say, you know better than that. Newfoundland and, of course, Labrador on her beat. Was there a Newfoundland any time recent? Anyway, <laughs> how are you, Kim? I'm doing great. Happy Thanksgiving. I hope you enjoyed it. And Oh, don't you just love this time of year? Um, yeah, I know what it's like here. But I, I, you know, always wonder anywhere else, different places, oh, what's it like there? Because we, we, you know, we were talking about this earlier, people asking, how come Canada has Thanksgiving in October? And we all know, well, the assumption is, uh, yeah. you know, later on it's, it's whatever, colder and snowier. But there are parts <laughs> of Canada where I'm sure you get the odd Thanksgiving where it is nice, ripe and cold. Uh, how are things for you guys? Was it just beautiful weather? A really nice weather. You know, chilly. Like, we know that, you know, that it's turned. Does that make sense? Like, you need your, your layers and your yes. sweater and or your right. hoodie and that type of thing. But it's just a, so it's crisp air and the, the leaves are turning. I walked over to a park nearby and just absorbing it all in. Like, I love this time of year. It is my favorite time, the colors and everything like that. So, yeah, it, uh, it's, a, it's not that. And I guess for Canada, we, so when we harvest everything, hey, for the vegetables, yep. and that's yep. what I've seen my friends posting, look, this is what we, you know, we, like my friend invited me over and I ate potatoes from their garden. Right? Yeah, that yeah nice I, I, oh, that's so nice. And I think we, we do <laughs> that. We, we focus so much on the ham, turkey, the meat part of it, as opposed to, wow, this is the, the results of the bounty, if you're lucky enough to have it from your harvest, yep. Kim. Exactly. Like I didn't really get much this year. I had a little tomato plant that I neglected. So <laughs> yeah, well, t- tomatoes. No matter if you re- neglected them or not, people are saying our gardener says Sue Kearney. Man, they were coming up. Um, let's talk about songs and stories and ghosts of, of ghosts and spirits. This is backed by popular demand. Right. So this is part of the First Light Center for Performance and Creativity. I think I mentioned something last week that they had like songwriter circle. So now they have this 
dark stories and ghosts and things. I think this sounds so cool, doesn't it? I mean, to get out and listen, and there's four Newfoundland Labrador storytellers, Gail Jarvis, Kathy Walsh, Francois Von Dial, and Jenny Williams. I don't know all of them, but Dale Jarvis, I have heard of him, and I've seen him, and he's a folklorist, is that the correct word? The collection Newfoundland folks there, and he started the... Um, a ghost walk that we had downtown, you know, be pre-COVID, that type of thing. But you can walk around downtown and hear stories about the haunted hike, it's called. So I would think that his stories are going to be pretty interesting. And you have music included. And for $15 to $20, like general admission, I mean, you can't beat that for an entertaining evening night out on October wow. the 15th. And I said, yeah, I think that should be as fun. And, it, you know, I haven't been to the facility, but I, I, it seems like it's a standalone building, St. John's Newfoundland, St. John's, you can get the gold bus there. Like, there's opportunities to get out and enjoy the different events ongoing. Uh, I, I love the idea of the outdoor ones, such as, like you said, the ghost walk, but anyone getting together, yeah. because what's really cool with storytelling like this, everyone, as much as someone says, oh, people get together, tell these different stories that they've accumulated, but you know what? Everybody's going to tell the stories in their own way, a different way, and and yes. still with the same goal, entertain you and scare the pants off you. Yeah, it sounds like exactly. a great a great pre-Halloween venture. That sounds sure. like a lot of fun. Isn't it? Isn't it a good idea? I think oh, it would great. be like, I think I want someone to go with me and you know, <laughs> hold your hand. Let <laughs> exactly. Let my imagination run, especially if they tell stories. Like the haunted hike is in the summertime, but if he incorporates that or any of them incorporate those stories to, you know, this time of year, I mean, you might be afraid to leave the building. Well, and there are so many stories that, you know, are the, either the urban myths or true that that oh. have happened in every town, city, you know, hamlet, whatever it might be. And when folks get hold of these stories and can, and tell them and share them with you, oh, yeah, and for 15 bucks, you can't complain. Exactly, or $20, $15 for students and seniors right. and art workers and 20 that's So I said the night, good evening in my mind. It uh, sounds like a good lead into your second topic about the CCB Newfoundland Halloween dance. Oh, I know. I'm looking forward to this as well. So that's um, it's the, our local chapter is called the EA Baker Branch in Newfoundland Labrador. So it's Canadian Council of the Blind, as most you know our listeners would know, and and they have the dance coming on. And October 31st, actually, that, that night, it's a Monday evening, and it's at the um, Lions Chalet, which is accessible, and the Go Bus will get there and pick you up or get a taxi. Um, and Shane, the DJ, he's he's a friend of mine, and he does great music. He's a really, you know, his, his, his music is really good, gets you up dancing, and you'll be on the dance floor, great mix. He's visually impaired as well. That's, I don't need to add that, but I just like the, the idea that... And he's, he's um, involved with the executive of the CCB. So it's it's really things like a fun evening, $2, which is not that much. And But now they're doing it as a fundraiser for future CCB events. So there'll be ticket sales and door prizes and, you know, a few little snacks, you know, passed around. But it's meant to, you know, bring bring some extra cash so that they can do some towards their fundraiser and dress up. So dress up as Halloween. And the contact I did send to Marianne, it should be on your website, is Lori, Lori Shea or Karen Young. They're both the executive of um, CCB. So, And you do not need to be a member because oftentimes a lot of these events need to be a member of CCB. But this is not, like I'm a member so I can bring a friend with me or, you know, a bunch of people together. So just for an evening at night out to have a few dances. 
Sounds like a great time had by all. And that's right on, so. and that's on Halloween itself, Monday, October 31st. Yes. Excellent. Right. So and uh, I, if you go, what are you going to dress up as? Well, I'm not sure. I've got several costumes. But then at the same time, I have a dilemma. I love Halloween and giving out candy with the kids. <laughs> so I said, how am I going to do both? So but I do have pumpkin costumes and a witch costume and I have princess. I mean, I've got enough costumes I can go through my, I call it like a tickle trunk to be a pirate. I can be a cowboy. Anything I want. I haven't decided yet. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Oh, that's amazing, and that's and that's fun, and especially being able to do it because a lot of people will be n- not necessarily faced with the same dilemmas you. They may have no family or people that they they can celebrate it with. So having that opportunity is is wonderful. Um, your next topic: socks in the oh. city, etc., in support of Daffodil Place and one night stand against cancer. Absolute wonderful, wonderful uh, charities to to support. Exactly, and I'm um. I don't. I guess I, you know, disclose. I was experiencing. I had breast cancer this year. You, you and Kelly know, but maybe not your listeners. So it's been a, you know, <laughs> your world turns upside down and inside oh, out. And I, I'm just thankful for the support. Fortunately, I, I didn't need radiation or um, chemo or anything. But I, you know, ongoing maintenance. So that this is a. And this really hit home to me this year. Like I've seen advertisements for different fundraisers and different things for cancer support or pink pink days and stuff. But when I saw this, I said this really, obviously, you know, hit me a bit more because I was fortunate. I lived here in St. John's or Mount Pearl area. I can get back and forth to the, the hospital if I had to have treatment. I would have a you know a boatload of friends that could help me. I'm lucky. The Daffodil Place is a place here in St. John's. It's um, is operated by the Canadian Cancer Society, and it's available to clients and caregivers who must travel to St. John's for cancer treatment. And they, you know, like for thirty dollars, you get a room and your TV and a mini fridge, and they'll bring you back and forth to your appointment. So when you get that cancer diagnosed, the last thing you need to be doing is worrying about where you're going to stay and what you're going to eat and and, right. and how you're going to afford to get back and forth. So uh, when I saw this, I said, oh, my gosh, I'm getting every one of my friends. And, you know, someone, we're going to this craft activity. It's located at the Glen Denning Golf Club, which is here in um, St. John's, you know, next near Mount Pearl, but people will know the area. $3 a mission and masks are required, but the money will go support to the daffodil place and, like I said, the one-night stand against cancer. So uh, very worthwhile from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. And it looks not just socks, like hand-knitted socks, hats, mittens, etc., by cancer survivors and the family. So the etc. could be scarves and whatnot. And we got the balsam fur Christmas wreaths, Christmas vintage items. What else? Have, oh, potastic bandanas and things. Or the patch maker, plants, house plants, festive live music, 50-50, an auction. What else do we have here? It just looks like I think I'm going to be doing my Christmas shopping. Raise and time <laughs> charcuterie board, punch needle creation, collectible china teacups, art prints. I mean, it really sounds like a beautiful collection that there should be something for everybody. You know, yeah. get a gift for yourself, get some gifts for your family members. And it's really, really supporting a very, you know, worthwhile cause that, you know, that well. certainly it touched my life. My parents, my mom, both my parents had cancer. So many of us had people have cancer. And now that I am now a survivor, you know, it's, 
we can't do enough. <laughs> well, and, what and, I'm trying to say. And, and Kim, I'd imagine people going, whether there are people who are uh, survivors that will will be there, uh, selling you know items or dropping them off, or or just there. Uh, for people experiencing or associated with family members or anything with cancer, uh, exactly. what what a, what a, even just to pick up socks that you're buying that you know who has created yes. them. Um, there's got to be that connection that you feel. I agree with you. Like yeah, especially and like you said, it's it, it, it's a hard go, and then not to know where you're going to stay or how you're going to get back and forth. Yeah. You know, do the hospital. So. Yeah, it's a very worth. It's very much a worthwhile cause. So awesome. I really wanted to add it to this one. So that's Sunday, November the sixth. So write it on your calendar. I right, will also also <laughs> put it up on the blog. Right, so ami exactly. slash Kelly Co. We'll talk to you next month, Kim. Thank yeah. you. Awesome stuff. Thank you. Take care. See you, Danielle. See you, Kelly. Bye bye. Kim Thistle is our community reporter in St. John's, Newfoundland and Labrador, covering off those uh, items. Wonderful. AMI.ca slash Kelly Co. So check out the blog. Coming up next, all glitter is not created equal. We learn more about the differences with Bella Strange on our makeup talk. Stand by. Hey, folks, want to give a big thanks for folks who give us the ratings and reviews through the uh, podcast. Uh, Always wonderful for your kind words. Thank you very much. If you want to subscribe to the Kelly and Company podcast, simply do it using your favorite podcatcher. Uh, You can listen to the show in segment form, if that's what you prefer, or the complete Kelly and Company podcast experience. Whichever way you do, we appreciate your time always. And if you feel like binging the show, wonderful. And, of course, just take in the segments that you you enjoy, if that's more what you're after. Uh, We make sure it's available to you, parceled out, and readily available as we update it, of course, every day. Monday through Friday, here we are, Kelly and Company. And, again, use your favorite podcatcher to find us and to subscribe. Kelly McDonald here, my co-host today, Danielle McLaughlin. On the second Tuesday of the month, Bella Strange joins us with accessible makeup tips and tutorials. Hello, Bella. How are you? I am good. How are my boils and ghouls and baby bats doing? (laughs) (laughs) I think they're all getting ready. Oh, I think so. I'm very excited to talk to you today. It's the first time I've had a chance to talk with you. And it sounds like you've got a lot of exciting things to tell us about today. You, uh, I believe, have been... Uh, heard to say not to be afraid to play with color and texture this month. Why is that? Yes, well, it is October, my favorite month of the year, though I do live the whole year like it's October. But <laughs> this year, uh, this month, I should say, sorry, um, definitely is the time to play with different colors, light colors, dark colors, and different textures like glitters or maybe slimy stuff. You know, this is the time to do it. (laughs) All right. That's pretty exciting. So um, tell me, what what are you going to be telling us about? What what is it that we're going to find out about? Well, I wanted to talk a little bit about finding those textures and those colors for this month. So in, for example, at some drugstores, you can actually buy makeup kits 
which will give you all the makeup you need to make a specific makeup look, be it a cat or a mermaid or or a vampire, anything you want. And what's great is a lot of those makeup kits can be used year-round, although yeah. your boss probably doesn't want you to come as a glittery <laughs> cat every day. <laughs> and why not? Yeah, or some kind of ghoulish ghoul. Hey, Bella, do we have to... When people are looking at these kits, you know, we always worry about things. They used to always say it about, oh, you get the cheap jewelry, it'll turn your finger a different color or whatever. You know, the metal will react on you and things like that. With makeup and stuff like this, depending on, is there anything we need to be careful of when going out and making that purchase? Or is the stuff pretty good when it comes to uh, interacting with your skin? So certain red pigments, which means the color inside of, the makeup that you would put on your face or body specifically red can stain your skin which can be kind of scary if you're dressed like Darth Maul from Star Wars and then you go back to you know your bakery job the next day and you have red stripes all over your face (laughs) so even with the expensive stuff I always like to err on the side of caution and put down a primer uh, before putting on that makeup or doing a patch test, which is where you take a little bit of the product and you apply it to the inside of your wrist. Now, that will help your body decide if it likes that product because if you get highs, if you get itchy, if you start to feel burning sensation, you know not to put that on your face or anywhere else on your body for that matter. And so it's a great way to test to see if maybe this makeup is all right, or if it's a no-go and needs to go into the trash. Right. And that, That's and that, really important. And that yeah, could just because... be randomly happening, couldn't it? Like, it doesn't mean quality or anything oh, yeah. like that. It's just the way your body's reacting. Mm-hmm. I know, speaking from experience, I'm allergic to latex, which also means that I'm allergic to avocados, bananas, certain apples, because they all have a latex enzyme in them. So mm-hmm. there's been plenty of times where I've gone to try on an eyeshadow, And I go, oh, my eye feels like I've been stung by a bee. I wonder why that is. And I will go onto the computer, search up the ingredient list, and what do you know? They put avocado oil in it. That's really important to find that out. So I guess people should be doing their research before they go and pick things up. But, I, you know, in dollar stores where they often you see the Halloween uh, makeup that you mentioned, you know, the whole kit to to do the cat or the mermaid or or, or something Mm -hmm. like that, can you always... Be sure what's in that stuff? You can never be completely sure, but like I said, doing a patch test will really help and also looking online at reviews because a lot of the times these makeup kits are produced every single year with the exact same ingredients. So if you look online, you might find a website or two that give you reviews on those like, I was fine, everything's good, I looked amazing, it came off all right, or Stay away from this. You know, I feel like I had a acid peel on my skin. Oh, gosh. Yeah. That is a great way to check because, yes, it is fun and it is colorful and lovely. But at the end of the day, you're still applying this to your skin. You need to be careful. Okay, Another so what thing, else can um, we try out then? What else shall we be trying out? Well, I always say glitter is so much fun to play with, especially around Halloween, because who doesn't want to be a glittery fairy or a vampire, depending on what vampires you (laughs) like. But I always warn people, you will see glitter at Michael's or in Dollarama or inside of a dollar store in the arts and crafts section. 
do not by any means put that on your face because arts and crafts glitter is completely different from cosmetic grade glitter. And a lot of people don't know that they go, well, here's, you know, a tub of glitter for a dollar. That's going to be great. I'm going to put that on my face. The problem with uh, arts and crafts glitter is sometimes it's made with metal. Sometimes uh, the edges are super sharp. Mm. If that gets into your eyes or your nose, it can cause some real damage. And we want all of the blood and all of the wounds to be fake this Halloween. (laughs) (laughs) Never fun to go to the emergency room going, well, is this real? Is this fake? Is this fake blood? No, that's not fake blood. (laughs) But when you leave here, you got something that makes you look good, those wounds. Uh, So then if... If, if we've got to worry, like, like that's amazing that you would, that such a thing can happen without you really thinking about it. And again, we go back to being careful, right? And, and doing your research. Mm-hmm. Yes, because as much as I, I love to just slap everything onto my face during Halloween, I also want to make sure that on November 1st, I still can do my job properly. And I'm not going to have a bunch of angry clients coming up to me being like, why am I still purple? It's a week into November and I'm still purple. <laughs> oh, wow. well, what, what is the glitter made of that isn't made of metal? Well, with cosmetic glitters, a lot of them are made with biodegradable um, materials. Some of them are coral reef safe, which means that they can be flushed down into the drains because it's not going to destroy the waterways or anything like that. A lot of them are more rounded, much uh, a finer cut. So if that does get into your eye, it's not going to cause as much damage as an arts and crafts glitter might. And there's so many beautiful colors. There's so many tiny, tiny glitters versus you can get giant glitters that are still safe, safe for your face. And you can use those all year round if you want, but they're especially great. Cosmetic grade glitter for Halloween. Good wow. to know. I have a grandchild who loves wearing glitter, and uh, I wasn't aware of the difference between the arts and crafts and the cosmetic glitter. I will make sure that um, we're using the right stuff if we're using glitter. Thank you for that. No problem. And another so, tip that I have, especially for Halloween makeup, is to get a good oil cleanser. Ah. I don't know if that was what you were about to ask me. <laughs> no, I, I was going to say, but it's obvious that the glitter is not all created equal, and that's pretty pretty wild when you look at it, when you think about it. Mm-hmm. it. It can be scary, but that's why we want to make sure we do our due diligence. We we check up these things. We, we take a look at the ingredients because we want to have fun for Halloween. We don't want to be stuck there going, well, I'm really, really itchy and my eye hurts. That's not going to be fun. And it's going to ruin your Halloween. And I want to make sure that everybody has a wonderful, safe Halloween. Yeah. Well, and what would you say, the way of looking at stuff, are we to go to YouTube? Are we to, you know, obviously it's a great place to get ideas, but would we find some of those as we're listening to you? Wow. If I want to check some of the experiences out, have you, have, when you do your work, do you find a lot of that? Yeah. A lot of people will go to YouTube and there are some great great tutorials on YouTube, but you also have to think about the products that go into those tutorials. One that gets done quite a lot that I'm always like, please don't do that is pretending having a makeup that looks like a cut aluminum can is coming out of your face. Now cut aluminum is very, very, very sharp. Even if you, you cover the edges, it can still cause an injury. So you, you fall and you hit your head. 
specifically on that spot or anything like pretending to put pieces of glass in your face for a photo think about the impact if you have an accident or if you fall because I tend to fall quite a lot you do not want this fake makeup to become very real very quickly (laughs) (laughs) so always use your common sense always look for uh, accredited makeup artists or makeup artists that do special effects for a living, they will always make sure that you are doing a makeup tutorial the safest way possible because this is their livelihood. Yeah. And, and you don't want people misled. You don't want people worrying when you say, okay, I've got to do makeup for you. Well, why? What, 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 what are you putting on? You know, and we really don't know. It's a, it's a, I don't really know, but I also don't want it. Don't make any mistakes with me. And of course, you know, your job. Um, and, and that's gotta be a tough one too, that when people are kind of second guessing, but people will, if they're not looking and doing their own research what, the fake blood, what things to worry about in the way of your clothing, um, and, and all that too, anything else we should add about that? Of course. So fake blood, especially if you get it from say a spirit of Halloween or a dollarama, those are made with quite cheap ingredients. Hence why they're cheaper for us to buy, which and means so, that dollarama. they will stain. Yes. Like Dollarama, (laughs) they will stain your clothing and your skin. So make sure if you are going to wear fake blood this Halloween, that whatever costume you're wearing is now officially that Halloween costume. Do not wear your church clothes. Do not wear your (laughs) business suit because that blood is not coming out. Wow. And you can get fake bloods that do come out, but they are quite more expensive. Right. And and I, again, when I say Dollarama or any, no offense meant, it is it is what it is. It's meant no, to be. And, and you're supposed to think where you're going to use that and what, you know, precautions you should you should have using that. Mm-hmm. Oh, believe me, the minute I see the Halloween stuff come out of Dollarama, my, my local Dollarama knows me. I'm like, hey, I'm here for the Halloween stuff. And they just let me go. <laughs> what what so do they I make know fake blood out of? Do you know what it is? Um, it can be a lot of food dyes. Uh, it right. really depends, but a lot of it is going to be chemical-based. But you can make your own fake blood at home using um, a red food dye and some pudding if you want. There's there's so many great homemade recipes online. But like I said, you can buy clothing-safe blood at costume stores, and that will actually come out in the wash, and it's fantastic. But it is going to be quite a few more dollars than, say, something you got from your dollar store. Fair enough. Yeah, I mean, there there are the things called essential dyes, which actually stain to the base of the cells, and you're you're going to be stuck with those colors for a very long time, aren't you? Yeah, hence the using of a barrier cream if you're going to put it on your skin. Um, using an oil-based cleanser because oil would break down those adhesives, those those tough-to-remove stains, but it, it's still going to be there. It's like getting Sharpie on your hand or getting a permanent marker on your hand. Right. You can scrub and scrub and scrub. It's going to be a while. And like I said, no one wants to show up to the, the next day at work after Halloween and they've still got, like, tentacles stuck to their face or, you know, <laughs> green hands. Although it, you, maybe your coworkers would understand, it's always worth it's, it's always <laughs> worth a laugh. <laughs> My coworkers definitely would understand. <laughs> My coworkers well, Bella, would be like, "There's no doubt." <laughs> we we know we know Bella. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Bella. This was a lot of fun, um, and uh, I, I hope to hear you again soon. 
It is so wonderful to talk to you, Danielle. I hope you have a great day, and I hope the rest of your listeners have a great Halloween month, and I'll talk to you guys in November. Absolutely. Join Bella Strange on the second Tuesday of the month for makeup tutorials and tips, and we'll find out what color you turned uh, next month. (laughs) So if you're using, if you're like that scary horror scene, you know, and you're supposed to be all chopped up or whatever, zombie-ish or whatever for the zombie walk or whatever. Just make sure whatever clothes you're wearing, you are planning next stop for them, the garbage. Get rid of it. <laughs> wow. Then you can buy all the dollar store stuff and just watch your skin. Just worry about that because that's that's not for the garbage. Up next, folks, on October 23rd, catch an accessible production of the Storyville Mosquito by uh, Good Koala. Uh, We'll get into that in just a few moments and find all the details out after this. What's the craziest Halloween outfit you've uh, worn in your life? That's a good question. Actually, my kids are way better at it than me. One time, my uh, middle son went as a potted plant, and he had this gigantic plastic planter that he was in, cut the bottom out so he could wear it with suspenders, and then he had all sorts of plastic plant stuff all coming out of it all over his head and his ears and around his arms and it was it was great that is amazing it was amazing he was so good Uh, my mother-in-law used to make our children the most fabulous costumes it was her favorite thing to do she was very very fine at that i remember it pained my mother if she had to go out and buy one they really preferred my parents uh, my siblings always love to to kind of make their own or make yours, right? right? That was yes. their fun thing. I almost thought they had more fun making yours or, or mine or whomever's uh, more than their own. And I don't know if it's in case it didn't work out and there was a malfunction, a wardrobe malfunction with it or something like that. But <laughs> it, they would have so much fun. Uh, and then if you were using any makeup, and again, listening to Bella talk about, we had no idea. Like, it didn't know what it would do. Oh, you're breaking out. Ha, ha, ha. You know, like, geez, I guess that went used too much or something didn't agree with you. You know, but you think about uh, how careful people would try to be watching around your eyes. And I remember as a kid, that seemed to be their biggest concern. But, yeah. you know, now now we have access to, to find things out and, and to do, do things the right way. So really interesting. And uh, as we get into that Halloween month for so many people who really love to celebrate it. Speaking of later in the month, though, on October 23rd, Catch an accessible production by uh, Kid Koala uh, presented by The Live called The Storyville Mosquito. The programming coordinator at The Live is going to join us right now. Uh, Nathan Sartore is, the, uh, is as I said, uh, the programming coordinator, keeping himself incredibly busy right now. Always reaches out to us. Nathan, thanks for the lead on this. Uh, welcome back to Kelly and Company. Hello, hello, Kelly. Thanks so much for having me again. It's great to be here with you both. Oh, it's a, it's, this sounds so much fun as, as Danielle, myself, Ramya, we always love uh, theater stuff and it's just tremendous. Now, how has, let's kind of step back a little bit. We'll get to the show in just a moment, <laughs> but you know the curiosity and uh, with us touching base with you, how has your work in arts and theater been over the last couple of years? Oh, that's a loaded question. I know. <laughs> it's, it's been, you know, it's been truly fantastic. And, and this, this, 
you know, very unique and difficult time that we've all been going through just, um, you know, it seems to have brought our communities closer and, and being part of the disabled community in that world uh, has really come together uh, during this difficult time. And, you know, so many folks are finally getting a little bit of an inside eye into what our day-to-day -day lives mm -hmm. really look like. So, you know, being on Zoom here, it's like easy peasy <laughs> for us. And we're used to this. We've been used to this for years. So uh, I think, you know, it's been an interesting time, but it's, it's allowed folks to, you know, step back really think about what's important, what needs to change in this world and, and the arts industry. Um, and I'm glad to be a part of that. It's, it's a really exciting time. Of course, would, difficult, but, oh yeah. but exciting. Would you oh, say yeah. thumbs up, Nathan, that our arts community has mm -hmm. really come through, I won't say on the better end of it in a way. We all know people lost lots of money. People weren't able to do the things that they normally do uh, in the same fashion. But we had to be creative. And that is the number one word in art, be creative. That's exactly right. Yeah. And, and you know, I've been here on Kelly and Co. before, but from uh, a different perspective from my not-for-profit, the Disability Collective. And, right. And that was a pandemic project. Um, you know, both both myself and Emily Maxwell, who's the artistic director, uh, were both in the theater industry, her as a stage manager and myself as a performer. And we both, you know, when the pandemic hit, we finally had a chance to breathe and, and say, there's some things about the industry that that aren't great for a lot of us, including us as disabled folks. And so how can we create opportunities that are more mindful and inclusive and accessible? Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's not just in those, you know, little niche communities that things are changing. We can see that in a broader sense. And, and you know, I'm coming to you today from TOI, which is a larger uh, organization, but it's exciting to see that these changes are happening across the board in, in these larger companies. Yeah, yeah, I know from yeah, us sure. here in London with our community theater and over the years, the difference it's, it's, it's made, what we've been able to do, my, my work in Toronto, what I've seen, mm -hmm. and the development in, in the years that you watch it grow to where it is. I mean, sure, lots of road work to do, but, but uh, there are also a lot more interested people saying, well, hold on, yeah. tell me how and what you do. Exactly, exactly. Nathan, can you describe for us your involvement with this show and with the accessible performance of the Storyville Mosquito? For sure, yeah. So as Kelly introduced me as, I'm the programming coordinator at TO Live, uh, which is a City of Toronto agency who uh, programs for three of the largest uh, city-owned venues, including Meridian Hall, St. Lawrence Centre for the Arts, and Meridian Arts Centre in Toronto. This show specifically takes place in the Bluma Appell Theatre, which is at St. Lawrence Center, St. Lawrence Center for the Arts, which of course is uh, right by the St. Lawrence Market downtown Toronto. Um, and I'm the programming coordinator here. So I have to deal with all of the things that happen on the stage, help our producing department and make sure, you know, everything happens without any issues. And, and part of my role uh, based on, you know, my expertise and my background is, is bringing these accessible performance. I, I'm working on this front and, and saying, you know, these are the things that we can we can do, and these are the things that we can offer. Which for this show, the Storyville Mosquito includes an audio described performance on Sunday, October twenty third at two p.m. Oh boy, that's it's so exciting! So let's get into it. The Storyville Mosquito is a unique love story that actually follows a young mosquito. Tell us a little bit more about this mosquito situation, Nathan. <laughs> it sounds. 
fun, right? It's 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 really unique. I, I've I've never seen or heard about a show um, just like this one. And so, just to give folks a little bit of an idea, uh, as Kelly said, it follows this young mosquito who you can think of as any really character. Uh, in this show, it's portrayed as a puppet, actually, and he is leaving his small town in the country to seek fame and fortune in the big city. Uh, something that a lot of us can probably relate to. I know I can. Growing up in a smaller town, coming to the big city here I am um, but what really makes this show unique is that it's a multimedia experience and, nice. and what I mean by that is I don't, it's incredible you know the work that Kid Koala and his team does essentially this show is performed in real time by puppeteers but it's actually filmed so the puppeteers are being filmed you can see this all on stage and the film is projected onto the big screen so you're able to watch a film being performed live wow. it's, it's truly incredible it's, I've, I've never you know experienced anything like it uh, along with that it has a live musicians so we have a, a string trio as well as kid koala who's a world-renowned scratch dj uh, so he's there with his uh, jazz trio so it's this exploration of jazz music and and uh growing up and you know moving away from home it's 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 beautiful. It's, and it's really interesting and exciting. And there's so much going on. Um, and that's part of why this audio description is so important to this show, because there is, you know, a lot of visual aspects to it. We obviously uh, don't want to leave out our, our blind and low vision community. And so we have Rebecca Singh, who many of you listeners may be familiar with familiar with she's mm -hmm. an incredible audio describer around the city so she'll be with us to uh, describe the performance for us on October 23rd have you heard this the descriptions yet what what do they sound like <laughs> I have not yet um so uh not too much to say there but you know I've I've had the pleasure of experiencing Rebecca's work in the past and and recently we we ha produced a dance show that Rebecca described and you know Rebecca's work is just so detailed and articulate and beautiful and uh you know it's 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 really great and so I think that Rebecca's going to do a really exciting job for this and and would provide a really awesome experience. Uh, I, I'm anxious to see what she does because how much of that element of the video, uh, when yeah. describing it, does a, a, a low vision or blind person necessarily need? I know you mm -hmm. obviously incorporate it, but the the fact is the audience is watching this being done and then being able to view it on that screen for the aspect of what it gives. But there's there's going to be – she'll have something, I'm sure, fun to make, bring that to that low vision blind audience. So I, I, that'll be really cool. Yeah, absolutely. I mean – uh, you know, Rebecca is, is a past actor and director, so she's all about the theater world, and I think she'll get into it. It's a really, you know, fun, exciting, interactive show, and, and she won't let anyone uh, out of that experience, for sure. Well, that, that sounds like it's going to be a lot of fun and that you have high expectations. Have you, um, <laughs> <laughs> and as well you should, have there been other audio-described performances or accessible shows that you've been involved with uh, recently? Yeah, so I was just alluding to a dance show that we just did at TO Live back in September, which Rebecca Audio described for us. Um, it was called Faha, and it was a celebration of community, uh, and that was truly incredible. And again, Rebecca's work on that was fantastic. Um, I've also worked uh, on a few audio 
described performances in the last few months, uh, notably with the Toronto Fringe Festival, as well as the last time I was on Kelly and Co for uh, my show called What Happened to You in August, which had uh, uh, integrated audio description, meaning that the audio describer was actually you know, wasn't a live person, but they were on stage and kind of a character of themselves. So it was really unique. Um, oh, so, you know, there's a lot of this happening in the community now. And I think, um, you know, I make a pledge to continue this work and trying to to make more organizations, uh, you know, see the value and importance of this work. Um, so I promise that I will continue to do this <laughs> and try and try and bring as many audio described performances to Toronto and in Ontario as a whole. Um, then I have more in the works too. So, so I'll keep you all in the loop for sure. Well, what's really cool is how creative, like you said, whether it's integrated, whether it's live description, yep. whether it's going to headsets, whether it's, you know, any, any particular way that can be added to bring that, that customer closer. I, I just love it. And that's where you want to see the folks such as Rebecca saying yourself, teach people, Hey guys, no, yeah. it doesn't hurt it to do it. This is how you could. Oh yeah. And artists out there that say, I'm going to incorporate the, incorporate this in, or even just write my script. So it's a bit more accessible. Um, do you want yeah. to talk, do you want to talk Nathan a little bit about the music for the show? What style, what will we feel like? Mm-hmm. So it's live music, uh, by Kate Koala and a string trio. So it's, it's jazz, it's jazz music. Um, think, um, what am I trying to say? Uh, yeah, it's like old timey kind of jazz. You're in a little miniature set. You can kind of envision what kind of music we'll be playing. Um, it's all jazz for you. Uh, but it's interesting because Kid Koala, who's the creator of the show, is actually a DJ. Uh, and he's has solo albums. He's even written graphic novels. Um, but he's uh, contributed to a bunch of film scores. So not only is he a musician, he's obviously a multidisciplinary artist based on this show. Uh, and he's contributed to many film scores, one of which stood out to me being The Great Gatsby. So anyone mm. who's experienced that mm. film, uh, you know that that music is all kind of jazzy and obviously based in the 20s as well. Uh, so I can see some of that reflected in this show, uh, that, that genre of music. That sounds really great. No, I, I, I saw that film and it, the music was remarkable. It's really good to know. Yeah. I, I love when they get a chance, artists like this, to say, hey, yeah, I know you know me for this, uh, DJing, whatever it might be, or a style of music, and they go off script of what you think, eh, Nathan? They, they do something different. And then you wonder, even what made you think this is the format, this is the music you wanted for this show? And it's that feel that artists get. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I mean, I I, I am interested, uh, and likely you are as well, like what, was it the music that came first? Was it the story that came first? Mm. Um, and you might just have to tune in to find out. I don't know the answer myself. So I guess uh, we'll see you at the show. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and a lot of artists will tell you it's just the way it felt. And even as you're exactly. writing, even as you're, exactly. and maybe something inspired you. So it's always really cool. Mm-hmm. What, what do you feel is a significant challenge with creating and coordinating shows with access and inclusion in mind? Uh, you know, and, and how do you take on this challenge? Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> um, you know, it's to be to be honest and transparent, like it it can be a lot of work for one person to do. And so I think, you know, a lot of it is community support, organizational support. So if people, you know, if I was coming into this and saying, Hey, I think we should do audio description, and they said, 
no, you know, we would be at a very different point or, or said, oh, we don't have the money for that. But, you know, if we, if we want to get into the nitty gritty and, and based on data, um, you know, having these access measures available are going to bring more people to the theater. And it makes sense when you think about it, you know, we're, we're including more folks into our audience base. Um, so, you know, I've been very lucky. I, I don't find it particularly challenging because I'm so incredibly passionate about it and I want to do this work. Um, it's a lot of work, um, but it's worth it. So I have no complaints, no regrets. Uh, I'm, I'm so thrilled and excited to be here. So we're looking well, at the, oh, sorry, go ahead, Danielle. Yeah, I was just wondering, I mean, how much theater do, do you think could be written with audio description as as a part of it? You mentioned uh, mm -hmm. an audio describer being a character and on the stage. I mean, is, does that sound to me like an excellent idea? I mean, should this be something that more dramaturgs are told about and and have have, you know, suggest inclusion in that way? I mean, I, I yeah. love that idea. Yeah, absolutely, Danielle. Um, that's really, you know, I think that's where we need to be heading. And, and you know, offering audio description at the Story Film Mosquito is wonderful, of course, but, you know, bringing it back to those first stages of development and say, how can we make the art more inclusive and accessible? Um, and I truly believe that accessibility is creativity. And mm -hmm. so, yeah. you know, yes. that show that I did with, with integrated audio description, it was incredibly creative how they came about that. Um, and it, it, I think that's where we need to be heading is, you know, talking about accessibility when we're writing the script or when we're um, writing our music or when we're, you know, at the early stages of our work rather than as an afterthought. Um, and you know, it, it'll take time, but it's slowly happening. We can see it happening. Um, and I think it's exciting. I yeah. think it's exciting. And there's a lot of opportunity and, and room to grow. Nathan, we'll grab where to get tickets just a sec. I, I just want to say it's that same analogy that we give for sports fans who are low vision or mm -hmm. blind who just say, why can't the TV guys talk more like the radio guys and just be a bit more inclusive? That doesn't have to be that much more words. doesn't have to be wordy. Why can't we develop that script that just speaks in a way to include so I know a little bit more yep. that's going on? Uh, where do we get tickets? Exactly. So you can head to tolive.com to get tickets. Uh, everything is on there. Our homepage, you'll, you'll find the story Bill Mosquito right on there at the top of the page. Good luck with the show, Nathan. Thanks again for awesome. making sure we know about it so we can all get on here and have a conversation about it and get people out there. Take care, man. Good luck. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Kelly and Danielle. Take care. We Bye -bye. were speaking with the coordinating, uh, coordinating uh, programming coordinator at the live, uh, Nathan Satori, uh, joining us to tell us all about the audio described performance of this wonderful mosquito that runs away from home, the story... <laughs> Storyville Mosquito, Sunday, October 23rd. Uh, that will be actually at 3 p.m. Eastern Time at the Bloom Apple Theatre, uh, located in the St. Lawrence Centre for the Arts, folks, in Toronto. Up next, we'll wrap up the show. We'll return in a moment.
Find Kelly and Company right from your TV folks. Rogers Atlantic, channel 196. And MTS customers, guys, look for us on channel 704. Visit ami.ca slash audio for a list of channel locations in your area. I just want to double back here, folks, because, of course, when we were talking to Nathan, I gave you the, the wrong theater name here. Uh, catch that audio described performance of the Storyville Mosquito Sunday, October 23rd, 3 p.m. Eastern Time at the Bluma Appel Theater. Slipped out with Apple. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I, w- I would go to an Apple theater personally. I'm yeah. very fond of Apple. Yeah, you know, and, and Nathan only said it a couple of times, right? And oh, we only introduced <laughs> it that way. Anyway, <laughs> uh, so do check that out. Wonderful work and really interesting what he was talking about because of the show um, that he did. We had him on for talking about integrated description. We know that so much uh, product on AMI-tv, that's what it's all about. I know when I was doing Blindsided and we were going through that as well, making sure that it, we had a show crafted with that integrated description. And uh, I think it's the way to go for a lot of artists when people get their head around it, writers, um, directors, and producers. It's it's the thing you stop and say, why did we not do this ever from the beginning? And all it is is just adding those few little words and lines that, that are needed. Danielle, at this point, we, we generally look back to see what we enjoyed about the program, segments to shout out to. So when people go and listen to the podcast, they have a starting point. What do you have for us? Well, first of all, it's so much fun being on air with you again. I that is my my highlight. Just having the opportunity, Kelly, to 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 share this time with you was great fun. Thank but you. Of you our, too. Oh, it's lovely. Uh, but of our contributors, I have to say that Bella Strange was a hoot, and it just was so much fun talking about all the different kinds of makeup and the dangers of you know turning yourself. Uh, pink or purple and and ending up at work the next day with that color or having green hands or not using the right sort of glitter and, and, you know, God forbid, you know, causing harm to your, to your skin or your eyes. So I, I really, I could just imagine her all dressed up for Halloween. It was, it was (laughs) really fun talking with her. Oh my goodness, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I really liked it. Got you feeling good for Halloween, even with the warnings and being careful. Want to shout out uh, Nick Alberga, a wonderful hockey segment to get people uh, who, whether you're into hockey, marginal, or or just an absolute passionate fan, uh, he really set it up for us nice. But I also have to say, takeaway, really a lot of takeaway, having our nutrition uh, talk today, other ways in which to work on those headaches. Julia had some great information for us on a subject that we hadn't touched before on the program. What's coming up tomorrow on Now with Dave Brown? Paul Daniel joins us to give us an idea, give us some feedback, and uh, preview the program. Sir, welcome back. Hey, Kelly. On tomorrow's show, uh, automation and artificial intelligence are being uh, uh, heralded by many people as a new way of delivering disability services. But do the facts really bear that out? Marco Pasqua and community reporter Elizabeth, Elizabeth Muller will offer their insights on that question. Marco Flala will give us a demonstration of the iPhone 14 Plus and Google's new Pixel 7. And the federal government is trying to regulate Canadian content online with Bill C-11. Bill C Contributor Kevin Shaw will give us his thoughts on the merits of the legislation and whether or not it's actually necessary. Mm. I would say a very thinking show, a lot for people to take away and mm. pontificate about a post-show, Paul. Of course. We're very good at pontificating. That's one of my... Sometimes I'm right not, there. I'm not modest. Hey, I'm, you know. That's exactly. Well, that's what, you're, that's what you, you hang your shingle on, right? Is that the term? 
But don't say shingles, Kelly. That could be a really bad connotation. Oh, at, at your age, for sure. <laughs> yeah, come on, have yeah. some class here, Kelly. Be <laughs> and you know, Danielle, I almost said, you know the saying, Danielle, but I don't want to refer to, yeah, that old saying about that. I, I don't want to get myself in deeper trouble. <laughs> no, don't. Hey, sure, it's hall, just right, not Kelly. worthwhile. <laughs> Talk to you tomorrow, Polly D. Take care, Kelly. Uh, folks. Bye, Paul. Their show on at 9 a.m. in the morning on AMI-tv. Uh, real interesting program. Check them out now with Dave Brown. You can also find them available as a podcast. Simply subscribe using your favorite podcatcher. And while you're in there, please uh, subscribe to our show and many AMI-audio shows available to you through your podcatcher. Danielle, wonderful. Thanks for being with us today. I have enjoyed every minute of it. Thank you so much, Kelly. Danielle McLaughlin there joining us from Toronto. This edition of Kelly and Company, I'm at the London, Ontario home studio, folks. And you know what I say. We'll talk to you tomorrow beginning at 2 p.m. Eastern time. Fedora's off to you. Have a wonderful night and stay safe. I don't know about you, but one of the things I've always found most amazing is when they talk about something discovered. I, I'm not so much interested in all the prehistoric time, dinosaurs and things like that. I mean, it's all fascinating, of course, but I do love to know about stuff from the Victorian age. I love to know about something discovered in a past time within the last 200, 300 years ago, how they did things. And it could be things that they talk about that reference what it would have been like to walk down a city street, gas lights. How did they do day-to-day -day business with your bakeries, garbage collection, everything? Always interests me. Well, I don't want to say everything, but stuff like that, how they maintained, how the, the construction work of roads might have been maintained and stuff like that. People going out for the night, people getting out their carriage. How many people really did that? What was the transit schedules like? When it came to utilizing the old Victorian subway, let's say in England or um, in New York, you, you think about the age of some of these things and when did people start getting garden hoses and doing their gardens that way? All these little things that are sure now you can go and Google. I mean, I'm even as a sports fan fascinated by back in the early days of baseball in the 1920s, let's say which isn't really the early days since there was organized baseball going on in the late 1800s. Anyway, I find it even interesting to see how many games were day games or that online I can go and find out. I can ask my phone and find out what time the New York Yankees game started on July 3rd, 1920. It's all fun to me anyway. Maybe some of you say, well, there are things I'd rather look up, even from that time. And yeah, we all have it, but... Just to get those snapshots, and again, I think this goes back a lot to my old radio show fandom and reading some of those older books and just thinking of the times and what it was like. And when we bring on some of our contributors who talk about radio plays or, or stuff from the past like that, I just soak it right. Hi, I'm Red Sale, inviting you to download the latest episode of My Life in Books. 
where internationally acclaimed authors discuss their lives, their work, and three books that have resonated with them. That's My Life in Books, available wherever you get your AMI podcasts.